0: Thank you. Um, I've only done this about a million times. Um, That's going to be a great day, here together in uh, Easter with you, and looking forward to that. Um, We need help, though, and uh, on the screen you'll see a 10-1 serve one. We've talked about this. On that day, we need help in the kids area, uh, or just with first impressions, uh, our ministry when people come in. If you can help out, that would be great. Uh, I was aware of that at our Sandusky campus. Our 9 o'clock service needed help, and so I said to my wife, Annette, I said, Annette, we need to serve. And she said, well, aren't there volunteers? And I said, you know, there are, but it would be good for us to set an example. And so I just say that to you. It would be good for you to set an example, wouldn't it? for your kids, for your family, to serve in one way. So uh, the, the information is there, or you can stop by our Welcome Center. Or if all of the information pastors Todd and Eric just shared with you, if that went too fast, just go to the Welcome Center. They can fill you in on how to register and what to do, all right? That would be great. Well, uh, th- this morning we're going to look at a number of passages from Scripture. And uh, I'd like to begin in the book of Acts. Um, In chapter 8, you know, the book of Acts is all about the birth and the spread of the church. And what we're going to look at is the story of Philip, one of the disciples. Uh, He's out spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And he is sent by the Holy Spirit south of Jerusalem. And he comes across uh, an Ethiopian man who is the treasurer of Ethiopia, a very important official, also called a eunuch. Now, that's another topic for another time. But uh, this Ethiopian was on his way to Jerusalem to worship, either as a Sikh or as a Jew, we're not sure, but he was on his way there to worship. And he's reading scripture, and this is what happens. Here we go. I think. There we go, right there. Philip ran over and heard the man, the Ethiopian, reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And the man replied, How can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of Scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, Was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So just a, a, a brief summary. This Ethiopian is reading scripture from the book of Isaiah. And he's confused. And he's not sure if Isaiah is talking about himself, Isaiah, or about somebody else. And Philip makes it clear, no, Isaiah is talking about Jesus. And just like that, this Ethiopian decides to put his faith and trust in Jesus and gets baptized at the end of the service. If you're unsure where you are with God, I would like to give you an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Now, Luke wrote the book of Acts, but he also wrote a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the fourth chapter of Luke, uh, right after Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, at the very outset of his ministry, Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth, and he steps into a synagogue for worship. And I want to read to you what happens there the scroll or the book of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him to Jesus and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written the spirit of the lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim the cat the captives will be released that the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the lord's favor has come he rolled up the scroll handed it back to the attendant and sat down All the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now, I want to tell you, that was a drop the mic moment. (laughs) That that was a jaw-dropping moment. That's where you're in a crowd, you know, and you start elbowing each other and whispering, did I hear what I think I just heard? Because Jesus was not saying what Isaiah was talking about was about Isaiah or about somebody else. Jesus was saying, this is about me. About me. Today we've come to the end of our three-week short series on finding Jesus in the Old Testament. A couple weeks ago we we started with Abraham and, and traced the life of Abraham up through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And found that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed, that through Christ, through faith in Christ, we can receive the very promise given to Abraham that we can be made right with God. And between now and the day that Jesus comes again, we as a church are are called to help others find how they can have a relationship with God through Christ. It was the story of Abraham a couple weeks ago, Jesus in the Old Testament. And then last week, we looked at Jesus and the law, You know, 613 laws in the Old Testament, all of them point to the person of Jesus who fulfills all of those laws and then summarizes what all of those laws should mean. In simple words, we are to love God and love people. That was the last couple weeks. Today, we're looking at Jesus in prophecy. Wow, there's so much there in so little time. I think often when people hear the word prophecy, They think of someone foretelling the future. Well, there's truth to that. Let me get to that in a moment. But about 90% of the time in what we call the prophetic literature of Scripture, there are books in the Old Testament, 39 books, uh, some of them named after prophets like Amos and Hosea and Obadiah and Nahum and Malachi and Jeremiah and Isaiah. And and 90% of the time in those Prophetic books, uh, they are not foretelling the future, but they are forewarning. Uh, they're helping people understand that you have, you, you have uh, um, come out of alignment. Kind of like my car, my car tires right now. They're out of alignment. i got to get them fixed. Um, you, you've, you are out of alignment with God's will. And if you don't come back into alignment with God's will, you will face Judgment but always quickly holding out also the promise of forgiveness because of the grace of God. That's about 90% of the time in the prophets. But but about 10% of the time, they are foretelling the future. And they're referring to someone down the road, something that's going to happen down the road. I don't think they ever really fully understood the specifics of that. But they were foretelling something that was coming along. The book of Isaiah, 66 chapters long. It is, uh, it is uh, I, I suppose the theme of Isaiah would be uh, this, uh, you, you are steeped in sin, but there is the promise of salvation. That was always true in all the pro- prophetic literature. You are steeped in sin, but there's the, there's the promise of salvation coming. And nowhere is that promise of salvation more prominent in Isaiah than in the 53rd chapter we read some of it just earlier Isaiah wrote these words 700 years before Jesus walked the earth but in these words we're about to read what we see is the the promise of salvation that comes through this, this one who is to come the Messiah now what I'd like to do is read through the entire chapter like I said we're going to look at a number of passages today Read through the entire chapter. Um, but I'd like us to read some of it together. I'm going to read the part that is in white, and you can read the part that is in yellow. We'll read it together, all right? You have to read out loud. If you have your mask on, read loudly through your mask. You read the yellow part. I've got a problem in that I can't tell what's white and what's yellow. So when it gets to the yellow part, just help me out. Just start reading, all right? Don't wait for me to say it all together, If you can see the yellow part, talk to me afterward. You have special eye power. All right, here we go. This is all of chapter 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Is that yellow? Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, He did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. That's a lot of scripture. Thank you for reading that with me and thank you for seeing the yellow part. It's getting better. There is so much there to unpack. Oh, my goodness. What I want to do is simply draw out three important points that I think are obvious in this particular chapter of prophetic literature. And the first one is simply this, that we are lost. Uh, This is what Isaiah said, all of us like sheep have strayed away, we have left God's path to follow our own. Um, Years before I was ever in church leadership, I worked in agriculture, I worked for Ohio State, and I was stationed in Licking County, and I worked with farmers, and one of my favorite farmers was Bob Stradley. He was a sheep farmer. And I would—I loved to visit his farm, and I remember leaning up against the fence looking out at his vast number of sheep, and boy, did they stink, but boy, did Bob love his sheep. And he knew them by name. It was amazing. But he spoke plainly about his sheep. Sheep wander. Sheep get lost. Sheep stray off. There was a story in the news some time ago. This was in eastern Turkey. The shepherds were off having breakfast somewhere, and I don't know how you decide who is the lead sheep in a flock of sheep, but this one lead sheep decided to head toward the cliffs, a 60 foot ravine drop, and he went over. And then others followed him, and they just kept going over and over and over, and 400 sheep died lying there, but they broke the fall for the next 1,100 sheep that went over. The shepherds came out and were like, Are you kidding me? $75,000 loss. My goodness. That's what happens when you follow the pack, when you follow the herd, the flock, or whatever you want to call it. Of course, here in the United States, we tend to think more of individualism. We are individuals. We make our own decisions. I'll do what I want. Thank you very much. I'm going to go my, way, my own way. Thank you very much. But I have a question. How do you know if you're on the right path? How do you know if you're not following the wrong herd or flock? How do you know that you're not on the wrong path? How do you know that once you've been on that path for a long time with all the others or by yourself, after maybe you've experienced a lot of hurt and pain, or maybe have hurt a lot of people and have caused a lot of pain and maybe... Maybe you've experienced the fallout of very bad decisions and feel the shame of your life. How do you get back? How do you you get off that path? I remember uh, for, for a lot of years I did backpacking in the wilderness, sometimes on the Appalachian Trail, different places. And I'd find myself, having missed the trail marker, I'd get off on a wrong trail. Well, I could do one of two things. I could just say, admit it or just keep on going. Sometimes it's hard to admit our lostness. Bob Stradley would say, sheep wander. They they are prone to wander. Isaiah would say, people are like sheep. They are prone to wander. And sometimes we are even unwilling to admit our lostness. I need help. I'm stranded. But Isaiah says it's even worse than that in that we can be so lost and know it, and yet we end up rejecting the very one who comes to rescue us out of our lostness. This is what Isaiah says. He was despised and rejected. Again, he doesn't know about Jesus, but looking back, now we know he's talking about Jesus. So prophetically he says, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Rejection is a difficult thing, isn't it? I bet you've been there, I've been there, where you kind of you decide to put yourself out there. <laughs> you know, you, you put your thoughts out there. Or, or you decide to wear your heart on your sleeve and you let people know your emotions. But you're rejected. And I would imagine it's going to be a long time until you do that again, right? I'm so glad that Jesus is not like us. He, he is fully man, but he is fully God, and that's not the way God is. This is our second point out of Isaiah. Even though we reject Jesus, he, God, will not reject us. I don't have it on the screen, but at one point, I think it's in verse four, it says that he carried He carried. Um, Uh, In our weaknesses, he carried us. And our our sorrows weighed down upon him. But at no point in this text do we read that, you know, you you abandon me, I'm going to abandon you. You rejected me, I'm going to reject you. You turn your back on me, I'm going to turn my back on you. You forsook me, I'm going to forsake you. That's not the way the good shepherd is. The good shepherd keeps pursuing you know, the, 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 the purest, most beautiful mark of what love really is is this idea of grace, getting what we don't deserve. So Jesus, the good shepherd, offers to carry us in our weaknesses, to bear our burdens, not because he has to, but because out of love he knows we are lost and he wants to bring us home. Oftentimes, in this setting, we we quote a man by the name of Tim Keller. Uh, He's such a good pastor, writer, author, teacher. And, you know, at one point, he he summarized the gospel, which means good news. In a way, I just, I love this definition. I'll see if I can get it right. But this is what he says. You know, all of us, all of us are, are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet at the same time, all of us are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Isn't that beautiful? So so Isaiah is clear. We we are lost. There's someone seeking for us who refuses to be rejected, relentlessly comes after us, but, but eventually it comes to a personal decision we have, to, we have to make. And let me put it like this. We need to embrace the, the, the great exchange. What, that's sort of a funny term. We've used it here before, but not for a while. The great exchange is, is a term that Martin Luther, the great, greatest, the, the great uh, German theologian many hundreds of years ago, came up with, probably from reading the book of Isaiah. And this is a picture of what Isaiah says, the great exchange. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. He will bear all their sins. The great exchange. Recently, we hosted a man by the name of Bobby Gupta. He has a very meaningful ministry we're partnered with in India. And you know, in India, I mean, I've been to some of the temples and I've watched people bring their fruits and their, and their gifts to their God, just hoping that they will be forgiven and cleansed. It's not just Hinduism. It's every, it's every religion of the world that's spelled D-O. Just You've got to do enough to somehow earn God's forgiveness, to be made right before God. But at the end of the day, that's a dead-end street because you never know if you're doing enough. And it's not just other religions of the world. Many of us are raised that way. Many of our friends think that way. If I can just do enough, do enough, do enough, do enough, but it's a dead-end road. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is spelled D-O-N-E. That's true Christianity. God has done for us through Christ what we could never do for ourselves. This is a picture of, of the great exchange. You see that? We, all of us are born into the world unrighteous, without a right relationship with God. We're sinners. We're, we're prone to wander. But Jesus, who is perfectly right, gives us that right standing before God as he takes our sin and the penalty of our sin onto himself. That is called the great exchange. One of the greatest verses I ever memorized years ago, it comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says that Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, once for all, that he might bring us to God. You want to be brought to God? It's through Christ alone and his death on the cross. So, so far, what I've shown you brings us up to Good Friday. This coming Friday, I hope you're here for one of, the, one of the services. Christ died on the cross. But that cross is meaningless without Easter. You know, I've read this chapter many times, but I never saw this verse. And it goes like this. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. What Isaiah is referring to, though he probably didn't know it completely, is is the resurrection. To Easter itself. We, We believe in a risen God. In a risen Lord, and one day He is going to come again. Between this day and that day, we are called to love Him and serve Him and to be thankful. Between this day and that day, let's keep these words of Joshua Butler in mind. The question we're faced with before the risen Christ is whether we're willing to stop running and be found. Now, many of you in this room, like me at age twenty, you made a decision. You. I want to be found by God. And I experienced that greatest change. I put my faith in Jesus and he gave me his righteousness. Some of you are not sure, but you want that. You want to be sure you are made right with God. And right now, I want to close us with a prayer. Would you pray with me, please? And as we're praying to God, I'm going to, I'm going to pray this prayer. And if it if it expresses the desire of your heart, let one of us know afterward. Pray something like this, Dear Jesus, I am am lost, and I need you, and I admit that I have sinned, and I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. I need someone to rescue me. I want to be sure I am made right with God, I want to be sure that one day I am in heaven with you. And I want that that relationship with God to start right now. So now, right now, I put my faith and trust, just like the Ethiopian with Philip, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. And I will now follow you the rest of my life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to tell me or tell Pastor Charles or tell somebody. But there's one more prayer I want us to pray through. I have friends. I have family. They're not ready to put their faith in Jesus. They're they're what you call skeptics. And maybe you're a guest today and you're a skeptic. Maybe you've not been in church for a long time. What is this Christianity stuff all about? I want to tell you, and I've said this before, at age 20, I sat on the side of a mountain in Glacier National Park, Montana. There were stirrings in my heart. I knew there was something more spiritually. I didn't know what. Even though I was raised in church, I didn't know what. And all I said was, God, if you are real, I want to know who you are. I want to show you a prayer I found in a book called Basic Christianity written by John Stott. And maybe this simple prayer, whether you believe in God or not, could speak to your heart. This is how it goes. God, if you exist, and I don't know if you do, and if you can hear this prayer, and I don't know if you can, I want to tell you that I am an honest seeker after the truth. Show me if Jesus is your son and the Savior of the world. And if you bring conviction to my mind, I will trust him as my Savior and follow him as my Lord. And if that's your prayer, wow, I'd love to talk to you and help you take your next steps. It's good to worship with you today. Uh, I think we're going to dismiss from the back coming forward, so just remain seated for a moment. I want to say too, congratulations to parents who are dedicating children you're not just dedicating your kids, you're dedicating yourselves. So it's, a, it's an awesome, awesome thing to be part of that. And hope to see you on Good Friday and Easter. Have a great day.